Greetings, my name's Andrew Sumner. My grandfather, Pop Smythe, bought me my first comic book in Liverpool, England when I was three years old, and I spent the next 50 years hurtling around the pop culture kaleidoscope, first as a fan and then as a journalist, editor, publisher and presenter. Along the way, I met a bunch of interesting people who will be joining me here. Creators, performers, professionals and public servants. We live in divisive, fractured times, but art and popular culture connect people from all viewpoints and from all walks of life. I'm often struck by the passions people enjoy, that they can set aside their differences for and agree on, whatever those passions are, whether I share them or not. And that spark, that moment of instinctive, connective agreement, that's what I call a hard agree. So, Mark, when you in terms of uh, in terms of the 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 Bucklework show, it's in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, am I right in thinking that the the show is running for eight weeks? Yeah, it actually started or opened last week um, or earlier this week uh, on the fifteenth. Uh, so that, it's open. That, that's the fifteenth of July. Yes. So it's open now. Um, it's, you know, my stuff's not in there. My brother and dad are putting some stuff still in there. So it's still kind of, you know, being seeded, you know, with information there's still, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's set up that people are touring it right now. Um, the, the private opening, you know, with the Ditko family and kind of sponsors and, and select people is on the 24th of July. So that's this coming Saturday. So, you know, my plan is to get out there and and obviously be there for that. And then from there, it's just a whole series of things. The Ditko play, you know, that that Lenny put together is on Sunday. Which I've seen, by the way, mate. Yeah, I saw that. And I think it was back in 2019 um, at at New York Comic Con. Yeah, I, I saw that and enjoyed it very much, actually. Have you seen it yourself? I, I've only ever seen, you know, the video, the video yeah. of the thing. So I haven't actually seen it live. I, you know, Lenny, of course, invited me and I didn't get out to New York, you know, that time. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't, so I hadn't seen it. So anyway, he's doing it. Uh, he's doing it in Johnstown. Um, uh, so that's on the 25th. And then there's kind of a series of things happening through the weekend. There's, you know, um, art classes on the weekend through August. And then there's a big event you know, uh, over the weekend in September, and then it ends up with the comic convention, the Ditko Comic Con on the 11th of September, and where we're going to auction off then all of the Ditko-inspired art uh, that people are submitting. Amazing. Amazing. That is is absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, And that that seems like a good moment for me to say, welcome to Hard Agree. My name's Andrew Sumner, and I'm privileged to be joined by Mark Ditko, the nephew of my all-time favourite comic book creator, the legend that is Steve Ditko. And uh, Mark, you and I have corresponded for a while, and it's great to see you face-to-face and have this chat with you, brother. Yeah, it's good to be here. I mean, it was, uh, like I said, a, for me, a long time coming and being able to do these things. Um, yeah. But yeah, you were one that, uh, it was on my on my hit list, as uh, I got I to gotta sit down with Andrew. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so good, mate. And I wonder if we could... If we could start at the beginning in a way, because of course you knew you knew your uncle Steve your entire life. So when you um, when did you first enter the world yourself, Mark? Uh, I was born in 1959, April seventh. 
Yeah, nice one. So you, yeah. so you're a couple of years older than me, and yeah, only a couple. And you're uh, so therefore, you know, by the time you, uh, you 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 were not much more than a toddler. That's essentially when your your the really famous era of your uncle's Marvel career began, right? Yeah, right. And you know what? Um, kind of with that, I I started I started looking at comics because they were around the house, um, which I still don't know how they got there but they were always around the house. Uh, but when I was maybe four, four or five, probably 63, 64 era. Um, yeah. What I remember uh, my first exposure to comics was uh, Conga. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So that, that was my, that was my era, you know, or yeah. that's what, that was my connection. It was the, the Conga. And, you know, at that point I didn't realize, I mean, Conga was such a fun, character you know from for for me as a kid yeah. uh, made me sort of almost it was probably a big you know motivation for me just falling in love with gorillas in general you know yeah. some yeah. big fan of gorillas um but that was uh, but at that time i didn't really know i didn't know my uncle did that stuff yeah <laughs> you know i just i just liked the comic and i liked yeah. you know the comics that were around the house and that was just one of them well, and what age do you think you were when you you realised that your uncle Steve was was actually you know a comic book creator and was responsible for for you know his classic characters and on all these names that subsequently throughout the course of your life have have come to dominate popular culture. You know that's that's tough. Uh, I get asked that question because it seems like you know everybody has their sort of aha moments mm-hmm. of their their points in time where there's this like connection and the switch goes on. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know? Um, but I got to say, you know, as maybe disappointing as it is, I didn't, I can't really spot that period because for me, uh, I wasn't, even though there were comics around the house as a kid and I, I read comics, it wasn't, it wasn't like an intimate part of my lifestyle. Yeah, you know, sure. we we lived in Pennsylvania in the woods. We had jobs. We worked. We went to school. You know, we kind of had our own lives. And my uncle was really just around. Heck, I you know what? In through the sixties, I didn't even know he didn't live there. Yeah, he was just he was around at barbecues. He was around at Christmas. He was around whenever the family got together. I had no idea he was in in New York. So the the my my like locating this aha moment of oh my gosh uncle steve is steve ditko i'd have to say it was probably in my early teens or mid-teens but even then it wasn't something that was so like shocking to me it was just like oh my gosh that's kind of cool he he invented post-it notes like yeah. wow <laughs> yeah you know, it was yeah. that kind of a i'm not not mild but it was uh such a non-eventful thing i was like wow that's actually really cool yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because the thing about family relationships, and I think a lot of people, when they ask you these questions, we're, we're aren't in the moment focusing on the way on the dynamics of family relationships, which is that actually few of us have any real sense from our very close of our close extended family members, uncles and aunts, and that kind of thing, cousins. Of, when I think about it now, uh, there are some of my cousins. I've got no idea what they do for a living, uh, mm. I, and I'm, you know, I'm in my late fifties. I've known them all my life. I'm close to them. They're very interesting people to me, but I couldn't tell you what they did because that never factors in our conversations. 
Yeah, and, 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 and so you, it's totally believable to me that that's that's the that was and, your and experience. Then if you found out all of a sudden that one of your cousins, nephews, uncles was somebody who you know used to tour with you know Black Sabbath or yeah. you know Pink Floyd or somebody, you'd you just go like, "Wow, that's <laughs> amazing!" And yeah. it would probably be about the end of it, you know? Yes. Yeah, right on. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely. You go, oh, amazing! But it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't supersede that f- familial relationship we got with them, with them, with somebody you're close to and whose company that you like, because that's the bedrock yeah. of what your interaction with them is. It's everything, and the other stuff is just an interesting footnote, right? Because I think yeah. also your ability to be blown away by things that your own very close family members do is substantially reduced because you know them so intimately. So it, you, you yeah. almost never have those aha eureka moments where, well, hang on, you used to be the real-life James Bond. You never mentioned that yeah. to me before. Yeah, yeah. It's so anticlimactic in yeah, a way. R- right you know? on, Mark. Yeah, right on, yeah. Mark. I, I, I do completely understand. So to to talk about um, your actual experience with, with your Uncle Steve, what was your relationship like with him as you were growing up, when you were a kid, when you became a man? Well, it it obviously changed like all relationships do. Yeah. In in the beginning, he was just another one of my fun uncles. You know, I have to I have to say that I led um I I I had a pretty idyllic childhood. Yeah. You know, we lived in a a, a great place surrounded the dead end road, nothing but woods and ponds. And, you know, we hiked and we spent outdoors time and we had our relatives around and barb family barbecues and stuff and fun uncles, uh, one uncle that was a magician. And every time he'd come over, he'd do magic tricks for us. And other one, you know, uncle Steve could draw and he was, he would wrestle and we would, you know, so it was, uh, kind of, uh, just, very idyllic, you know? Um, so early on it was just, he was just another one of my fun uncles or aunts. We, I, I, I love my family. And then it's, you know, probably the first sort of entrance point was at one point when I was little, um, he was probably showing my older brother, who's two years older than me, my brother, we were always drawing as kids. He, he was older. So he started a little bit earlier. So he was probably drawing something and showing my uncle for whatever reason, you know, we maybe knew that he drew um, and my uncle would just kind of give him some tips and pointers. So I just said, Hey, uncle Steve, can you draw gorillas? (laughs) And sure. I mean, he just grabs a piece of paper and he whips out this just killer gorilla. I was like, Whoa, that's amazing. You're such a good artist. Little did I know he's, drawing conga that I'm reading, you know, the yeah. comics at home. So initially it was just, wow, he's, he's an awesome uncle and he's could draw so well. He's obviously got some skills there. Then as we kind of got older and older, I mean, we stayed, you know, kind of just sort of in a, a playful mode just as yeah. kids and uncles would be. Um, but then um, for me, it changed a bit when I was a late teen. Um, when I was a late teen, I, I, I probably was sort of flashing back like the sort of a hippies kind of like rebellious sort of era, but, but just in, in really mostly in terms of attitude, I would, 
I had longer hair, um, you know, never wore a shirt, headbands, yeah. you know, braids and stuff. So I, I remember being at the kitchen table at my house. I don't even remember why we were there. My uncle was there and, and I was just, I don't know, maybe I was probably 17, 18 or something late high school. And I was just complaining. Maybe it was probably my first year in college, you know, and I was just complaining about some world condition. You know, it's like, ah, you know, just ragging on something. And he was always somebody who you could always talk to. He was always so even keeled. You could, it was almost like there was no subject necessarily that was taboo from my perspective. So uh, we're just sit, talking there and he, he looks at me and he says, so what are you doing about that? <laughs> I was like, nothing. You know, like what, what, what kind of statement is that? Like, I'm not doing anything about it. And he said, well, if you're not doing anything about it, then really you have no right to complain. You know, you can't really you can't really say anything because if you're not doing something about it, then you just, then apparently you just have to live with that. You know, I was like, Whoa, that was deep. You know? So then we started a little bit more of a kind of a philosophical, you know, relationship. Um, at that point, then I, I sort of turned into the seeker, you know, I yeah. drove witnesses that would come to the door, Mormon, some, I invite them in, you know, it's like, yeah, show me what you got, you know? So, so then at that point, he started to kind of feed me some information. He gave me some tapes um, to listen to um, some sort of just like, a, you know, positive, you know, perspective things. So um, so then at that point, I, I started to see him through a completely different lens. And then ultimately, I ended up graduating. Uh, I moved down the Virgin Islands and lived down there for a while and in the tent in the jungle. And then I ended up coming back and ultimately moving to Phoenix, Arizona, getting, having a family. And then ultimately I, I, in 1990, I moved to Los Angeles and it just, the, the chain of events was kind of interesting. I, I, I just then started to write to him. I started to, you know, stumble back into comics. Um, the, for me, I was literally going shopping one time and I saw a yard sale across the street and I walked over and they had a bunch of comics there. I had been kind of out of the whole comic side. In fact, I probably hadn't corresponded with my uncle for a while at, at that point, other than going back to Johnson, maybe seeing him there. So I was uh, talking to this guy who was running this, this um, little yard sale and he found out who I was and he was just blown away. He was like, wait a minute. Steve Ditko is your uncle. And all, that's when it kind of hit me. It was like, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. I guess that really means something. So then he was like, come here. I got to show you something. So he takes me down into this apartment garage and he's got two giant trunks full of comics. And he says, I know I, cause I said, you got any Ditko. And that's obviously how the conversation started. And he says, I know I got, I know I got Ditko in there. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll sell you both these trunks for 200 bucks. And he said, just because you're who you are. So I was like, I'm in. So I bought them. And that kind of started this whole thing. I started writing to my uncle more, you know, hey, when you did Creeper, you know, did you do this or what was Hawk and Dove all about or why? What was this and what was that? And then I started to attend comic conventions. And that's when it really, my world kind of cracked open because 
I'm, I walk in and I say who I am. And the next thing I know, I'm talking to Jack Kirby, yeah, you know, right. or I'm talking to Stan Lee or I'm talking to Jim Shooter or just because of the name, they just sort of like the doors just opened. So I, I did that for a couple of years and then I just kept writing them. And, but most of our conversations became very philosophical. Yes, they were about, course. you know, very thematic. My letters were about the family, what's going on currently, you know, with the extended family. Um, what, do you, what is he doing? Ask him some questions and then the sort of philosophical thing. And he became a bit of a guru to me. Yeah. So probably from the early 90s on, uh, I kind of saw him more as a guru, you know, yeah. a, life, a life coach. Which makes, given his philosophical leanings and the intellectual rigor that he approached everything, whether it's, you know, philosophically, politically, in terms of his approach and his, it, towards life and his beliefs, that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. And you're really getting the best of both worlds, sir, because you're getting Ditko the thinker and you're getting Steve Ditko, your uncle, all rolled into one, which is kind of unparalleled access to his brain. Yeah. And then he would send me things. He started yeah. sending, he said, Hey, you should read this. Have you ever heard of De Bono? You know, you should read that. You should read this. You know, he, here's this book or here's that book. And obviously it just eventually came to, you know, some, you know, you, you really should read the fountainhead, you know, you really yeah. should read Atlas Shrug. You really should read those books. So he started to send me this stuff, you know, and yeah. of course I'm reading this stuff, you know, because that was sort of the kind of the foundation of our conversations you know, fundamentally, that's what, that was really the glue that kind of held us together. The rest of the stuff sort of just became, I want to say, hobbies on our relationship as far as finding out a little bit more about comics or what he did there or what he did there, you know, here or there. Uh, but I think for me, um, if even if he wasn't my uncle, even if he had nothing to do with comics, if all that stuff aside, um, the, his level of kind of ethical you know, outlook on things, his integrity, his, his just overall morality, you know, his, his underlying just basic philosophy, um, that, that was enough glue for me to have me just riveted to what he was saying. Yeah, of course. That, I mean, that, that makes complete sense. And it's almost, uh, it's almost a, 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 an unparalleled opportunity, really, I think, to have had those conversations. You must consider yourself very lucky to, to have had the relationship with him that you did. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you know what? And I'll say, okay, you know, am I, you know, I, I, I'll just get this out there. You know, am I exploiting that now, you know, doing these things and trying to promote him? I'm, I am trying to promote him. I want, I want people to know who he is. I want people to know more who he was. And so does yeah. my dad, you yeah. know, and so do my other, the other family members. We kind of want that. I just feel like I've, I have been kind of lucky to have maybe a relationship that some others didn't have to that degree. I had my own, my own relationship. Nobody's relationship is like anybody else's. Yeah. I had my own, you know, it was what it was. And yeah, I am absolutely happy with everything, you know, that has gone on and could I have done more? I'll tell you what I have to say in talking with people now, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have thought about that question back when I was writing him, because I would have got an answer to that. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I absolutely feel my, feel lucky, you know, to have had the opportunity to kind of know him like I did. Yeah. I, 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 well said, mate. And I think what you, you and the family are doing 
is actually is actually you doing it very sensitively. I think I think the thing is that one of the ways in which you honour great artists and people who achieve great things is absolutely fundamentally at the end of the day, it's important to to respect your uncle's wishes and approach while he's living. But the thing about the lives of great people is once those people are no longer on this mortal coil they become very interesting for historical purposes. And I think at that point, you know, how a person chooses to live their life, but then how they are remembered as a complete artist. Their life is, whether whether they wish to talk about it during their life or not, their life is, is part of that complete spectrum. And I think you kind of almost owe it to history to, to open that story up a bit if you can, because your, your uncle's work belongs to the world now, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you know what? That it, this okay. This is where I, I love having these conversations because it brings up so many elements of, I'll say, what I wrestle with or what others wrestle with is because I absolutely have had my, you know, uh, attacks. I'll say in a strong word, not really that yeah. blatant um, about what I am doing, you know, yeah. and why I'm doing that. Um, Versus other people's opinions on, you know, how something should be done and, you know, the, the sensitivity and, you know, people ask me, so do you think your uncle would like this bottle work show? No way. He would hate it. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> this is ab- there's no doubt about that. He would absolutely hate it. Yeah. But, you know, there's that side, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not pandering to the, you know, the CBFs, you know, the comic book fans, you know, that my uncle you know, had his own attitude on, you know, I'm not necessarily doing that, but it is true. What you said is there is a high interest, you know, and, and spiked interest on who he was, you know, my dad, when, when he passed away, I went out to new to uh, Johnstown to, you know, help my dad and my uh, younger brother, Pat Patrick with stuff. And within the first couple of days, you know, we were talking and he, my dad said, you know, we should do a book called, you know, Steve Ditko, the man, you know, who he was as an uncle, as a brother, as a son, as a family member, as a friend, um, just so that people know, you know, who he really was. Uh, and I, I absolutely hundred percent agreed with that. In fact, yeah. that's in progress now. I think um, it's a great idea, by the way, yeah. great idea. And, and it'll probably come out 2022. Um, but the, the thing is, is would he wanted would he want that? Absolutely not. In fact, I mean, my my assessment is, and sometimes I'll throw in kind of my opinion. My opinion of of his, uh, uh, I'll say, reluctance to promote the family or his yeah. his you know brothers and sisters and nephews and whatever was because he was kind of trying to protect us from that media frenzy, you sure. know. So he, you know, when we went to New York to go into his studio, the security guard said, you know, my dad says, I'm Steve Ditko's brother. We're here to clean out his studio. And the the security guard said, no, you're not. He told me, (laughs) told me over and over again, he has no relatives. (laughs) So, you know, to me, it, it wasn't, there wasn't anything, you know, mean spirited about that. It was, a protection mechanism of course, of course. because he didn't like that when, you know, back when Kat Ironwood was doing her thing and doing inner, she sent out interviews and 
index, you know, mailers to all the high school, his high school friends and family stuff. He didn't like that, you know? Of course. So I think he was really just trying to protect the family in that way. Um, But yeah, I I think we, we now, and it's a decision, you know, it's just right or wrong. You know, there are some things that maybe uh, are, he would have seen as more sensitive, um, you know, and, and I can't say that, you know, maybe even me and my dad or my brothers or anything are on the exact same page. Cause I think there's still a lot of like questions rolling around of like, what do we do? What, where is there, a, is there a line somewhere that we shouldn't cross, you know? So I think that's still being kind of, you know, finding our, our footing there. But I, after the last Spider-Man premiere, I got invited to that down in Hollywood and I was talking to Kevin Feige and, um, he said, and just to kind of cut to the, the chase in this conversation, um, I was telling him that we were going to start to do some things like that. And he said, you have to. He yes. said, because if you don't, he said, 10 years from now, what will be remembered or what will be seen? He'll be seen as a caricature of who he was. Yeah. And and who what the sort of extant uh, attitudes are. He was a cranky recluse on yes. and on and on you know um yeah. withdrawn from the society whatever um but he's well, that's not who he was that's yeah. not the way he was so we do i feel like i have to set the record straight to, to the degree i can on on really who he was mark i think you're absolutely right and Faggy's a very smart guy as we both know and his counsel is very wise that the reality is that um your Uncle Steve is a, is a figure of extreme historical interest and and you can't control the way the world regards you, the, you, the individual, and you, the individual, uh, the artist, and your, your actual artistic output. And once you're no longer on this plane of existence, if you don't control the information that comes out and make sure that it's treated with as much intellectual rigor and as truthful as possible, people will still dig around and put out as much information as they can. And, and, and it, it's, it's, if it, it's far better for you, the family, to be at the centre of that process and for everything that comes out to be a genuine reflection of the man rather than a bunch of, like, of her-brained biographies. I mean, I've, I've already seen that the... Your, your dad's your dad's extremely detailed correspondence with his fan base, which is fantastic, and which has surfaced in a number of ways since his death. There's a website that you know reprints a lot of those uh, a lot of those letters, and at least one person has has published a collection of of that of that correspondence over time. Yeah, uh, and, David Curry. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and and the slant of that particular book is, you know, myself and my uh, uh, long-term friendship with Steve Ditko. As as we know, actually, Steve D- Steve carried on th- those interactions with a lot of people. I was one of them. I, I've chosen for the time being. I've shared it with you, but I've chosen to keep my my kind of correspondence to myself, right? Um, but the whole thing is is some of that is opportunistic. And some of it is an interesting historical document, but I think I think the reason people are so interested in those things is they can't they can't get right behind the velvet curtain and see the detail of his life. But people will keep on trying to do it, and because people are trying to do it, I think you will serve him the the best in the long term by actually um, catering and looking after that process yourself. 
Yeah. You know, I have, I have, um, uh, I don't know, it, to me, it's a, you know, everyone has their own sort of rules or guiding rules of their life there, you know, they're, that sort of allow, allows them to sort of fall back on and make decisions. And one of the ones that I think that drives me relative to this, and it probably doesn't, doesn't drive others. It's just an internal motivation is I think that all the rumors and speculation and innuendo um, on my uncle was created by my uncle in a way he, yeah. you know, obviously not directly, but indirectly by, you know, and so, so my, my datum, you know, is nature abhors a vacuum. When you do not put something in there, something will go in there, some kind of crap or whatever nonsense will go in there. So to me, the only way you uh, like circumvent that is to put truth in there, to actually put something in there. So now he started to do that when he started to write his essays. Yes. And absolutely. yeah, uh, so that was, that was huge. You know what? And he hadn't done that for a long time. And all of a sudden, you know, he got a motivation, you know, to start to get his essays out there, which, you know, okay, it's great to say, let my art speak for myself. You know, it's like, okay, well, the stalker, what is the stalker really telling me about you, you know, or something shade, the changing man. Yeah. Okay. Um, but when he started to get into the essays, okay, now he, that's his words right from the horse's mouth, yeah. you know, um, so one of the things that I want to do is I want to compile a book of all those, of everything he ever wrote. Fantastic. You know? yeah. So that's something I think to me will, in his own words, get that out there. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I want to do stuff like this to try to fill that vacuum yeah, because course. he did create that vacuum and it did suck in a lot of crap, you know, in there that was unwarranted, unjustified, and just flat out wrong based on little fragments of one lettered response where someone, he was curt with someone who for the 400,000th time asked him to draw Spider-Man for him, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, give me a break here, you know? Yeah. So they make this whole opinion over that, you know, curt response and they post it. But I think there's a, obviously there's a lot that can be, you know, disseminated about him in an intelligent way to get people to, you know, understand who he was better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that that that's that is very well said, Mark. I think it's very well said indeed. In in terms of what you're working on now, uh, actually, can I ask you before I ask you this? Can I ask you a question? Did you did you ever visit Steve at his studio before he passed? No, no. So no. you only went there once he once he was no longer with us. Yep, yep. Never. I just never never had the opportunity to just kind of connect up with that. You know, my yeah. you know, I run my own business and I travel quite a bit and. You know, the one time I went out there, I, I did a, a, I had a big job, uh, a couple of big jobs in New York, New York subway, because um, I'm a civil engineer. Yeah. And, um, and we just, it just never connected up, you know, yeah. and as he was, as he got older, you know, his, his hearing wasn't getting so good, you know, his, it's, you know, his, his start to get some physical, you know, restrictions and yeah. you know what, he just, he wasn't up for it and yeah. I wasn't going to push him. So I, I just, I never connected up uh, with him in his studio. No, that, that makes sense. And in the latter part of his life, was his studio his primary residence as well? Oh, no, no. He had an apartment. He had an he apartment, had a, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, so his studio was uh, whatever, the, the 211, yeah. you know, or 650s, six, six, six Broadway, depending on which yeah. address he was. 
And then it was, you know, just down, you know, you, you come out of the building and you hang a right. And there was a, another building and then a little corner merchandise gift shop. Yeah. Um, and then there was, I think it's, uh, I think it was 75th street or something. I can't remember what street. And you cross that and two buildings down was an apartment complex. And that's where his apartment was. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah. that's interesting. I had never, I hadn't appreciated, I hadn't appreciated that. So he lived within a stone's throw of his, of his, of his studio for, for decades. Yeah. And his bank was just right up the street, you know, just yeah. uh, up, up, uh, you know, a couple minute walk, you know, up 75th. That's yeah. amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So, yeah. so Mark, looking at it from the outside, yeah. When as you as you live through your life and you know, fine work as a civil engineer, and you know you had your own life and your own focus. Um, at what point did you realize? Was it around that? So you you started to really realize what a big name you, your uncle was within comics when you started to interact at the comic cons and whatnot and that scene and with other professionals like as you said you met Kirby and you met other other people like that it seemed to me from the outside as a lifelong Ditko fan and you know a, a person who's always truly appreciated his work and, uh, and and he was he was always my my favorite creator not just artist but writer artist whatever it seemed to me that what was something of an accelerant in terms of the fame of the Ditko name was when the first Toby Maguire um, Spider-Man picture came out because that's when your uncle started getting a big credit on the movies themselves. And it was a very big, I mean, I remember going to see, um, so as you know, I used to be a, a, like a movie journalist and a magazine publisher. And, um, I reviewed that, uh, I reviewed Spider-Man for the, for the, uh, for a couple of the magazines I was, I was, writing for at the time, The Enemy and Uncut, which are both music magazines. I mainly wrote about movies for Music Max, right? And I was the publisher of Uncut at the time. And um, I went to see the first UK uh, journalist screening of of that Spider-Man movie with Mm. an editor at Titan called David Leach. And there were only two of the people in the audience. And the two of the people in the audience were Joe Cornish, who went on to direct a movie called Attack the Block, uh, and uh, uh, and um, Jonathan Ross, who famously made, uh, yeah, who, who, who you know, of course. Yeah. And I didn't know Ross at the time. I've met him since, as you know. But I, I back then, so I didn't, I didn't chat with him. But my, he was sat about three rows in front of me, himself and David, and we're the only four people in wow. the screening room. This is at Sony Pictures in London in the basement. There used to have this little wow. Department. So we're the first four people in the UK who watch it. And when the titles roll, when the title card came up, which was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko, myself and Leach let out a massive cheer. And and Cornish and, and Ross turned around and smiled because they got it completely. And we were just all so amped because until I saw it, I didn't know whether they were going to give you give Steve credit or not. And I, I, that was amazing to me at the time. And it felt like a complete validation of all the the work that he that, that, that he'd done and his contribution on one level, you know, on one level. Yeah. And, um, and in that moment, it struck me that from that point on, I would imagine that the Ditko name started becoming well-known outside of just comics. Was that, was that your experience of it or was that something you didn't really feel at the time? You know what? It's so funny because I see I see things through a whole different perspective. Yeah. I, I'm on, I'm on a whole different rail system. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. 
because I am, my name is Ditko. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, I actually didn't necessarily see that when yeah. I, when I started to become more visible and go to comic conventions, I was just telling people who I was and it was already connecting the dots with people who already knew. Of who course. Was. Of course. So I don't know that that had any real impact on me at all. And it was to me, what I would get connected with when people would find out who I was, were the diehard Ditko's who already knew who he was. Of course. From yeah. Spider-Man yeah. or Dr. Strange or anything else that he was doing. So you know, the, the movie, the movie coming out, I didn't necessarily see any impact because the people who are really connecting with me already knew who he was. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that does make a lot of sense. I, I, and I've always thought that the, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that outside of your human physical interactions, the existence of yourself and, and your family was mostly to my eyes throughout Steve's life kind of shrouded in mystery. I wasn't, I'd heard rumors that you guys existed and I never knew if it was, if it was apocryphal, if you really did exist. Whether, the mythical Ditko family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what it was like. And I remember talking to Will Eisner once, who was at that time under the impression that, I, you know, either you or your brother weren't his nephews, but, but it's his sons. Yeah, oh, yeah. How he, and and I, and I was like, man. So what? Steve Ditko was married at one point. I, I've ne- and I and and then sometimes. Oh no, it's he's he's got he's got a bunch of siblings, and and but and they've got children. And it's his nieces and nephews, which turns out to be the case. But I always used to think, I mean, come on, the name Ditko is so unusual. There can't yeah. be there really can't be many knocking around, and there's a strong chance if there's anybody out there in the US who's not Steve with the surname Ditko, they must be related to him which of course is true, but it was like suddenly once Steve passed, it was like an avalanche of information. And that's when I think a lot of people really tagged on to your presence. And then as you got involved in your uncle's estate, then it became a whole other thing. And it was like, oh man. But And I thought it was so fascinating that he'd done such a good job of actually shrouding your existence in that kind of mystery. And that to the point where people were so, I think, respectful of your uncle and his wishes, that even when you went out and about at various shows and met various professionals, they then didn't on their blogs or on their social media or whatever go, man, I was talking to Steve's nephew the other day and dot, dot, dot. You know, a lot of that stuff wasn't publicly reported, which it would be with just about any other artist i mean artist in the in the in the extended sense of the word and i think the reason that it wasn't is because a lot of those creators the guys you met they had such respect for your uncle and the way mm-hmm. he lived his life yeah i totally agree uh but there's another element to that and it's the fact that the family ourselves uh, aligned our presence with what my uncle wanted you know I, I was i was talking to my dad and my dad said you know I guess it was a couple of years ago. And he said, uh, you know, uncle Steve never really wanted to talk about his work when he came home. Yeah. So when he would visit, he didn't, he didn't talk about his work. It was kind of like, you know, uh, let's, I, I'm a family member now. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm putting on a different hat, you know, I'm, I'm a family member. I'm an uncle, I'm a brother, I'm a son. So I'd rather not, you know, let's, let's not talk about, it's not, not all about him. He wasn't one to be the center of attention in that way. So, um, I think the family were sort of, you know, 
grooved in to just, that's eh, not something we talked about because if he didn't want to, he didn't really care. We honored that and we just didn't. So there was, yeah, there was the side of him that people did it maybe out of respect um, to not mention that they kind of know us or whatever. But I think there was also from the family's perspective, we were just like keeping it mum because we knew that's what he wanted, you know? So that was, I mean, that was another part of it. We didn't, you know, you know, I probably was the one that was, you know, most overt about it when I'd go to comic conventions, because I wanted to talk to Jack Kirby and Stanley and Jim Shooter and all those guys, you know? So yeah. I, I kind of was one a little bit more open and, you know, and I wrote him about it, you know, that I was going there and Jack would say, Hey, the next time you see him, you know, tell, ask him if he ever got a girlfriend, you know, or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would relay those things and he, he just took it in stride, you know, um, he didn't say stop doing that or whatever. Um, so, I mean, he let me kind of do my own thing, but I was being respectful of not, you know, going too far about that and making sure that he knew what I was doing. Uh, but yeah. there was definitely a little bit of a family um, tight lipped uh, piece uh, element to that as well. Yeah. That, that, that make, it makes complete sense. I had a feeling you might say that because that's of course how you keep that situation intact for that such a period of time. You've really got to be aligned in yeah. order for no further information to, to come out. So I think for a lot of, a lot of hardcore Ditko fans like myself, it was kind of an amazing side effect of, of Steve passing. And he didn't pass tragically because he lived to a ripe old age mm-hmm. and he was incredibly productive right till the end. Yep. But at that moment where he, you know, he, his, he, he transformed into his next plane of existence, whatever you believe that to be and whatever it was for Steve, whatever it is, it was so interesting, the kind of avalanche of family information that suddenly appeared, endlessly fascinating to people like myself, who'd spent, you know, a lifetime kind of thinking, man, I wonder, wonder what kind of guy he is, you know. And, I, and, and the thing is, I think also, and I think this is where you get these fans with preconceived ideas, a lot of his hardcore fans were very respectful of that, you know, very respectful of what he did and how he, how he approached life and not wishing to discuss or promote his personal life outside of his work so a lot of people simply didn't ask those questions i know there are people who did well that's a very different thing but i think it's it's been i've i've really enjoyed the graceful way that you've interacted with your uncle's fan base since his passing yeah i mean i try i try my to be i don't don't know i want to say sensitive i mean i i I say what i want to say but i feel like i'm intelligent enough to you know to do it correctly and I, I kind of feel like, you know, I've, I've, you know, just like, you know, Howard Stern kind of dubs himself, you know, I've dubbed myself the Steve Ditko philosophical monitor. Yeah. You know, I, I, the one that feel like I just, because I decide that I am is when David Curry wrote his book, he sent me the manuscript, you know, Zach Cruz, yeah. you know, he sent me his manuscript, the Ditko play, Lenny would put that together. He sent me the manuscript before this stuff even went out. I read all that thing, that stuff multiple times and gave them tons of comments. Yeah. You know, Zach's I didn't because I absolutely loved Zach Cruz's book, yeah. you know, Mysterious Traveler. That yeah. one just right off the shelf was just dead on. But Brilliant. David, I, I gave David a pile of comments and he picked them all up. He just very willingly, you know, struck this out, reworded that. 
you know, and, and then Lenny, same thing. He, he massaged his stuff. So anybody that has written, has been writing stuff. And once they connect with me, if I, I mean, I, I don't want to portray him in an incorrect way. Yeah. So I've kind of, I try my best to do things in a, a correct aligning yeah. with, you know, my uncle's attitude, you know, in philosophy. So I try, yeah. I try my best, you know, to do that. And I, I feel like I'm not doing too bad a job. <laughs> no, you're doing a great job, mate. That is fantastic. I can see the intellectual rigor that you apply to that, and I can see how important it is to you. And it's wonderful to know that Steve's legacy and Steve's lifetime of work is in such great curring hands. I think that's the thing that means the most to me. I think if I was in a similar situation, I would hope that I, I approached it with the same degree of uh, intellectual rigor and um, empathy that you've done. I think I think it's lovely to see. And speaking of all of that, Mark, um, what is it that... Uh, so, first of all, what in terms of... you, you I, I take it the uh, you cleared out the studio when Steve passed. That The studio doesn't exist anymore, presumably, or is right. renting out to somebody else. So... Do, do you, the family, now control all of the the art? Do you have all the artwork that was returned to Steve? Have you got all that kind of safely stored away? Well, I'll I'll just say that everything that was in his studio and apartment uh, we have got now. It. Totally understand. Yeah. Now, yeah. now we, we might be in the realms of there are certain questions I might have nitty gritty questions here that you don't want to ask, which I totally res- uh, you don't want to answer, which I totally respect, mate. But um, the thing I've always been curious about, and I suspect this might be one of them, and it might be near the top of the list. Do those two, uh, do those two issues of Doctor Strange that he inked and penciled but weren't submitted to Marvel? Do they physically exist? Well, okay, so here we have some some never before said or spoken statements this is you have you know some exclusives maybe because of this line of questioning we did not find those oh man what pissy oh yeah just saying you know it's like you know i i I, unfortunately and i'll tell you what i as a family we um we're still waffling i well at least i was on what was going to be said uh relative to some of that stuff um and I had a conversation with my brother. He had his, you know, opinion. And eventually we kind of came to, to an agreement. Um, but yeah, those pages, I hate to disappoint people. Uh, and for years, I've been just keeping yeah. my mouth shut. Um, but we did not find those. Oh, what a, so so my, I, a guy I think you probably know, I'm sure you know, I, our mutual friend, um, Carl Potts, longtime Marvel editor. It, it, we, I was, I was talking to him of this show the other week, and what, and we, we, about half of his episode, by the way, is about him reminiscing because he, he knew your uncle well, worked with him, met him a lot more times than a lot of people have, and, um, and he was reminiscing about his his working life with Steve, uh, and, and it's about half of his episode. But one of the things we were both getting really excited about was the potential existence of those. Of, of that artwork. So thank you for asking that, mate. Do you without... Getting- I, hate, I hate to say some of that stuff has been so hard for me to just go, yeah. okay, yeah. now, do they still exist somewhere? Did he do something with them? Did he send them to somebody? Does Robin Snyder have them? Does I have no idea. I could, I, you know, it just pains me because I know what it means, yeah. you know, to say, and that's what I've been, it's been just gnawing at me to just, 
it, it's it's taken me three years to just come to say those words. Of course, you know, because uh, yeah. everybody like myself, like Carl, everyone, everyone who's listening to this, yep. everyone's hoping for a here it is Marvel publish it, you know, and they do an extended yeah Ditko Ditko Doctor Strange omnibus with the t- you know with the with the. T- oh, t- I understand the ramifications. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone's looking for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure, and and I, Mark, are there any uh, in terms of the the show that you're putting on at the moment, or your future plans? Are there any real gems that you found that you think people will very much respond to? You know what? Um, I don't know what necessarily people are going to respond to, but this this show, I'll say this is it's it actually was intended to align more with our release of our book. Uh, the Steve Ditko, the man. Uh, yeah. Like my brother just told me what the title actually was. That was Steve Ditko, the man was kind of a working title. Yeah. Uh, he just told me what the title actually was, but I, I can't remember it right now. Um, but it was really supposed to align with that and be more of a family friend, you know, things about his, you know, his past is because towards the tail end of um, of my uncle's life, he was sending things to my dad, you know, photos and memorabilia yeah. and military stuff and discharge papers and all this other personal stuff. So, you know, really this show was intended to display um, and present that in alignment with the book, you know, more photos of him and, you know, things never, never before seen more from a family friend, you know, perspective, not so much as an artistic display of things, although that's going on, but the, this show in our minds was never really, you know, presented in that way. It was more yeah. of a fam again, just trying to align with our, the upcoming book. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't, I'd have to say, and, and again, not to disappoint people, but I don't necessarily know there's any artwork that's going to just blow people's minds, you know, that all oh, by, you know, just been waiting to see that, you know, I knew yeah. he had it or something. I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I think what will blow people's minds is what you've already got planned. I mean, to have those, uh, to have that window into your family life and Steve, the man, I mean, there's already just from that alone, because he was so guarded about the so few things eked out during the course of his life, images and whatnot. And a few more have eked out since he's passed. I remember everybody going bananas, that picture of, um, of your uncle with all of you as kids and he's got his yeah. kind of sports shirt on because that's a, that that and he's got a big beaming smile he's with his family everybody's blown away by that photo and i think the great thing that you've done is you haven't put out an avalanche of this stuff on the, on the road up to the show and every little bit every little image that you put out people just go nuts people go I know. And, and there's a, just a furore of, man, have you seen this? Yeah. You know, my inbox, whenever you release one of your, your, your pictures of your Uncle Steve, just is on fire because my various industry friends are always like, hey, somebody, you've got to look at this, man. You know, you've got to do it. So I, I love the way that you've done that. So, so Mark, what do you, in addition to your two, as yet untitled uh, Steve Ditko, the man, what other, what other publications are you guys working on at the moment? Well, the other thing that's kind of in the works is the the compiled Mr. A book. Fantastic. So, yeah, is, all, is that with all, IDW, mate? Yep. So yeah. uh, are you dealing with uh, with Scott at IDW about that? Yep. Yeah, I think I've said this to you before, but he's, he's a very good friend of mine, actually. We, we co-published oh. some stuff about 10, 15 years ago. There's no better 
no bigger and more knowledgeable fan of of, uh, of your uncle than, uh, than than Scott. He really yeah, knows Scott's what he's great. doing. He's yeah. amazing. He's a w- yeah. wonderful person, and, yeah. and and we'll treat it with the. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Steranko volume that they did, but it was incredible. So I know if you're going to do the complete Mister A, you're doing it with the right guys because I would imagine knowing them, they'll pursue several formats. One will be a complete Mister A, and they'll just, they'll probably look at one of the big, large format original art books as That's well. That's what it is. It's going to be a, a larger, large format. Fant- I cannot yep. wait for that. Yep. That's brilliant. Yeah, and. And presumably you have other plans as well, which uh, which uh, must be coalescing in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, you know, um, the, we obviously we have other. I mean, I have kind of like thoughts yeah. that I want to do. I've been approached by others yes. with projects that they want to do. Um, right now, the only ones that are really, and, and I'll I'll say that my dad and and the the my two cousins that represent my two aunts' families. So there's three families, really, my dad, my, my family of my Aunt Betty, and then the family of my Aunt Annie, who were the four siblings, my uncle, my dad, and my two aunts, uh, you know, they're, they're working on, you know, what they're going to do. And they're deciding right now, they've only ever, they've only decided to do the Mr. A book, the family book, the bottle work show. Um, and then, I mean, I have some other things that I've been talking to them about, like the essay, I want to do the essay book. Right, um, yeah. and I have some other things that I have other people that are approaching me on. The other one that's kind of we've been chattering about for a while is doing an actual documentary. Oh you know, yeah, uh, for sure. So that's that's the one that that we have kind of that's the most discussion that's yeah. going ongoing now. Which I'm going back to Johnstown in a couple of days, you know, midweek, and um, staying with you know my dad and my mom. So. I'm sure it's some point conversations on that. Yeah. We'll come up and kind of see where that's going. I've been approached by a couple of different people um, to to really help uh, big players. I, I know. Possibly- I imagine you've got some very credible people who've yeah. stepped up. I can yeah. imagine who some of those people are. And they're the kind of people who can get it made for you as well, which, yeah. which with the level of access you've got, I think the world is crying out for that documentary because, of course, yeah. when you get a really prestigious documentary, I, I would say it's analogous to, say, some of the Elvis documentaries that have been made in the last decade mm-hmm. or the Frank Sinatra documentaries that have been made in the last decade. They're, they're exhaustive. They're three hours long. You get a real insight into the people. And it's kind of invaluable work to do that for Steve. I think you'd be hugely honoring his memory doing that, mate. I just want to do something before somebody else does. You of know, course, you should. The, yeah. Before the the Kirby Ditko Lee documentary comes out that then paints my uncle in a bad light. You know, yeah. it's just like oh, right I, I feel like I just want to. I'm I'm, I'm kind of anxious to, to get that in motion. Yeah. Uh, because I want the right stuff to come out sooner rather than later. I, I agree. I mean, I think a classic example would be, I've been amazed, even though your uncle himself debunked it, just how much legs the myth about him leaving Spider-Man because he was arguing for the Green Goblin to be anonymous. I just read that. And, 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 like and Stan week. was arguing for the Green Goblin to be you know, to be uh, Norman Osborn. will not die. But, when you know, I mean, your uncle wrote a whole fucking essay about the fact that he oh. intended it to be. Not only did he intend it to be Norman Osborn, that was his idea. Because at yeah. that point, Stan wasn't plotting the books. It's all your <laughs> uncle. So it's such a fucking ridiculous, ridiculous rumor. It I, I, will I, die. Yeah, I know, and it just perpetuates. Because because yeah. the thing about the thing about Stan, whatever your view about Stan was, what he did have for a long, long time 
because he's such a huckster of a personality and was super, super interactive and super talkative and was very, very good at promoting himself. Yeah. And I don't wish to say any negative things about Stan because Stan had a lot of positive things. But also, if you read the, if you read the, that recent biography about the Abraham Reisman book about Stan, that's pretty much who he was, you know, light and shadow. Nobody's perfect, right? Yeah. But but the truth is, because he was always the voice on record and he never had a very good memory and everything, every story he told was with the slant of bigging up Stanley, the brand, a lot, that's, that's 30, 40 years of talking to the media on a level that Steve never did and Jack hardly ever did. So there's a lot of these narratives that have been propagated and just live on and they're all bollocks. You know, they're just not true. Uh, Mate, I've been on, uh, so as a journalist, I was on a lifelong mission before it was was in vogue to every time I ever had cause to write about um, your uncle's creations. So the reason, even though I was the publisher, the magazines I used to run, I always used to do all the Spider-Man reviews. When the original Spider-Man movie was released in the UK, when Spider-Man 2 was released in the UK, one of the quotes on both of those posters was from me. One of the reasons that I took those assignments and pulled rank is because I would always have a paragraph talking about the creation of Spider-Man, nice. which was created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, nice. uh, and, 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 and mention that most of the work was your uncle's, which wasn't the popularity of the time. And I've been doing that for years every time there's been some kind of screen iteration, just in my own, own small way. And it's always frustrated me that there is such a lot of horseshit swirling around about that era in your uncle's life. And it's so easy to correct. And he himself wrote extensively about it. I mean, his old Spider-Man series of essays, that's brilliantly illuminating stuff. And also he's dead right, because the reality is, I would say that Stan's great flaw is that that at heart, he went to his grave believing or had convinced himself and believed that he was really the creator of Spider-Man, of the Fantastic Four, etc. I don't think, even though he did claim it, he can't really claim it for Doctor Strange because Stan himself is in print for yeah. saying it's all yeah. Steve's idea. You know, it's actually, he wrote that, but he did a very good job in later life of covering that up as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's the fact that he went to go believe in that. Of course, nobody else believes that. Not even people who are big lovers of Stanley, like myself. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what's great about your your uncle's essays about the creation of Spider-Man, it's all about the fact that it's a two-person effort. And the name Spider-Man, written down on a piece of paper, hasn't ever been used by the whole Marvel company as their logo. It's that amazing costume that Steve designed, uh, which has gone on to be one of the most famous images of the 20th century. That's all your uncle. Super iconic. Beyond iconic, super iconic. I mean, you're talking about an image that the Spider-Man face, the Spider-Man costume, is instantly recognisable in a way that perhaps only two of the logos are, and that's the Batman logo and the Superman logo. Yeah, yeah, those two and the and the spider and and the and the Spider-Man face. Nothing is recognisable as that. Maybe Elvis, maybe Marilyn Monroe, but that's it, right? There's nothing yeah, else. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think you're. I do. I think you're doing very valuable work, mate. Now, Mark, before before we before we close out, I, we've really talked a lot about the fabric of what you're doing with and for the Ditko Estate, and um, and. Uh, when you look back on your your uncle's output, 
in each of his kind of key eras, I, and when I'm saying his key eras, what I really mean by his, 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 his core era at Marvel and then his career at DC in the in the late 60s, and then also his period of time working for uh, Charlton. So I'm not really talking about his self-published Robin Snyder stuff, with which I'm very familiar, or, or Mr. A, with which I'm very familiar. But I'm interested for you, when you look at his Marvel work, what, what what's your what's your favorite piece of his Marvel work? I um okay, I love Doctor Strange. Yeah, of you course. know, yeah. to me, I think to me that's that's obvious. But um, so I think it was probably in the nineties, maybe nineties or early two thousands. He started to send me his file copies of stuff. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> and just boxes and boxes and boxes of it. So at one point I started to go through it and, and he didn't save in some cases, he didn't save the whole comic. He would just save the the story, you know, and he would have it in a sleeve. So I started to dig these things out. I was going through my comics and I started to put out all of those five pagers that he did in the fifties, early sixties. And those things just blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, I look at those things and just, I'm just, gobsmacked like i can't believe the output and the quality and the story and it's to me that that i mean of course i love dr strange because of who dr strange is and he, that he's iconic in his own way but that 50s era and the 60s era when they were doing those five pagers to me that body of work just blows my mind you know it was just so much of it the output and the stories were just so readable, you know, and the artwork was just fantastic. So I could stare at those. I was just through them, going through them again just the other day. I, I could stare at those for days. I, so. I, I, can, I think that's very well said. I completely agree with you. I think the O. Henry-esque five-page stories with the twist in the tale that he did scores of with Stan, uh, yeah. I, 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 I think they're a real high watermark in his career and I, I love think uh, just looking at that stuff I think they're very very powerful and so fabulously suited to his his artwork as well yeah yeah but when you started talking said okay so I'll say this when you went say okay what's my favorite sort of marvel type thing I have to say I went to uh actually I like his wash work in Erie and his Warren work yeah right I mean, yeah his wash work I was staring at that stuff the other day too you know, yeah. Deep Ruby and all of those are just like, oh, man, that is just phenomenal art. Just phenomenal. Yeah. So I got to say, I, I love that artwork. Yeah, it, it is lovely artwork. I, I have a particular fondness. The reason I mentioned the Charlton era is yeah. the way I first encountered most of your uncle's Charlton work is we used to have these uh, reprint British comic books called Astounding and called Suspense and whatnot that, uh, that used to come over here in the 60s and 70s. And they mainly reprinted non-DC, non-Marvel stuff. So they reprinted a lot of Charlton, and they actually reprinted a lot of Tower Comics, the Thunder Agent stuff, but in black and white. So I first encountered things like Captain Atom and The Question just in black and white, and, and it looks amazing in black and white. It looks incredible. Because your uncle's amazing line work, you just see all of it. And I think, I think it, I, I, you can tell that he was given, he might not have a lot of, made a lot of bread working for Charlton, but he was given a massive amount of creative leeway, it seems yeah. to me. 
just looking at the work? Well, to me, I think as a evolution of kind of the Spider-Man era, I love the artwork of Blue Beetle. Oh, 100%. Yeah. To me, Blue Beetle is talk about a just the, the continuity from the Spider-Man era in terms of action moving into the Blue Beetle. To me, what a beautiful evolution, you know, and cont- in continuity of his art, panel layout, and just the dynamic, dynamic nature of his. I mean, to me, I, I love, I love the, on the chair, Charlton stuff. I love the love Blue Beetle. Love me it. too. I, me too. And then to, to close out this particular reverie, another thing that I, another thing. So I might as well name check the other things I'm very fond of. Just to, just to. So I've talked to you about these. The other thing would be, um, I, I, there's a huge amount of creative dynamism to the work he did on the Creeper, and the work he did on Hawk and Dove. And I remember I picked those comics up in real time when when I was about ten wow. when they came out. And man, they just blew me away because. It felt like there was the it was pure Ditko almost at certainly at first both of those they're such unusual books you know particularly yeah. for DC to be producing at the time but they have a real a real abiding power to them I think <laughs> I can't believe how many you know okay so I'm a I'm a Ditko hoarder you know yeah. I, I can't there was a period like through the 90s 2000s I I I'm every time I would see an issue of you know. I don't care if it was Speedball or Shade the Changing Man or yeah. every time I saw a showcase, uh, you know, Hawk and Dove or a Creeper, I bought it. Yeah. I was just, I'm was i leafing through my comics and going, oh, my God, there's another Creeper. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah, must yeah. have 15 or 20 of those, yeah. uh, you know, Showcase 73, 75. Of course, of course. Because <laughs> I, I just love them. Yeah. So, yeah, I I... I feel you there. I'm I'm also a multiple. I'm a, I'm owner of maybe not as many as you, but I have multiple copies of Showcase Seventy Three. I'm a hoarder. Yeah. I, it's it's interesting. I've got I've got uh, I, there's a combination I love, and indeed this is what a lot of my correspondence with your uncle was about was about his occasional partnership with Wally Wood, who I, I oh. think I think the interesting <laughs> thing about Steve is few people were able to ink him anywhere near as successfully as he inked himself. And people who tune into this podcast a lot will have heard me say this before in other conversations with like-minded people, but one of the people who was a very different artist to Steve, but complimented his work brilliantly as an inker was Wally Wood. And you would think their styles would not be complimentary. I think that's what's fascinating about it. But whether it's Stalker or whether it's the other book I'm about to name check, The Destructor for Atlas... That oh. issue one of The Destructor is one of my favourite comic books of all time. I can't, I still own the one copy that I bought back in the early 70s when it came out. And the combination of Archie Goodwin writing it and Steve and Wally doing the the uh, the, 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 the art, I must have reread that book like 150, 200 times. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really do think it's an absolute Ditko gem, that book. I love it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. I think I pulled it out because I'm. I was bringing a, a bunch, a selection of various comics to the show to see if I could, you know, put up kind of a, a range of comics that I have that he gave me. Um, and I think I pulled that one out. 
Ah, oh, great. Yeah, no, it's it it yeah. it's it's abs- it's absolutely spectacular. I think yeah. um I think Mark the uh, the 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 other thing is that I I'm supreme. I don't get envious at all. I, envy is not an emotion that I feel, and it's not really the right word to use. I don't really feel envious. But when I was talking to Carl the other day, it, he was saying, "Well, you know, I'm on my way to go and see the uh, I'm seeing the Johnstown show this week." And I was like, man, in the normal course of my working life for the last two decades, I've spent six months of my year in the US. Oh, wow. Uh, and traveling around, yeah, you know, flying the, the pop culture flag, doing various things. And I, had this been a normal year, and that all stopped dead last, the last time I was in the States was last February, February 2020. I came back, and I basically haven't been out of my living room since then. But if I was living my normal life, you can bet your life that if you've been running this for two months between August and September, July and September, um, anywhere, any time other than this year, I would have been there 100%. I would have been on the phone going, Mark, mate, I'm on my way. I'm coming to see this show. So I, I, I really do absolutely wish with just about every fibre of my being that I could be there at the show and see it. And I'll, that's where I like your plans of ultimately taking it on the road and doing other things with it. Because I desperately want to see it myself, mate. Well, okay. With that, I guarantee you, you're there in spirit. I, oh. I will, I will make sure that my your vibe is there emanating. But uh, it is something that there's been chatter about having it every year there yeah, in Johnstown, or as a cyclic thing. So we'll see, you know, where that goes. And um, obviously, every year it would probably get better and better. So yeah. uh, this is just the the launch point, which you know, hope that it, you know all is well taken and, you know, gives us a uh, enough uh, motivation to kind of keep it going, but I'd love to take it on the road. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I'm all over it. When I'm traveling again, it is the yeah. first thing I'm going to do. And uh, when you get to see it, I think whether it's resonant, whether it's true or not, I mean, you've obviously had some input, which is great. The stage play I think is, is, is very good. Very, very entertaining. I think the, the guy who plays, your uncle is great. I mean, how how I'll be fascinated to hear how he plays out to you. But I think the casting, the guy who plays your uncle and the guy who plays Stan are both excellent. So I really enjoyed their performances. I don't know how truthful to them as human beings they are, but I think it'll be an interesting ride for you to watch that. Oh, you've seen the tape anyway. You've, right? Yeah, but here, here's the thing is, you know, um, Lenny's coming back to do it, but he's doing it with another troupe. Wow. Uh, okay. Troop in Johnstown. Wow. So different so sets of actors. Yep. Now that's yeah. going to be interesting, mate. That's yes. Well, you know, that, that, that is a staple of, of, of theatrical entertainment, of course. So whether, whether that changing cast would be very interesting, I think. We'll see. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for spending this hour chatting to me and, and talking to me about the amazing work you're doing with your your uncle's legacy and with your uncle's estate. I am a 1000% behind, as you know, everything that you're doing. And I just couldn't be happier to see Steve's incredible legacy in such such amazingly curring hands. And who more curring than his loving nephew? That's the key. I do what I can when I can, you know? (laughs) I'll, I'll keep doing it. Yeah, and that, that's music to my ears, brother. That's what I want to hear. So that's the big, the big hard degree from me. Mark, thanks so much for joining me today, pal. It's been a pleasure being here. Until next time. 
until next time, brother, and I will see you sooner rather than later. All the very best. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Hard Agree. This episode was edited by John Horsley and Kenrick Regan, and our theme music, Golden, was written and performed for this show by Liverpool's finest band, Denio. Hard Agree is a production of the Spoilerverse and myself, Andrew Sumner. <laughs>